Don't want to work forever? Once you can cover your living expenses with passive income, your day job becomes optional and you reach financial independence. You then have complete control over your time, your money, and your life in general. Spark Rental founders Denny Suplee and Brian Davis, me, are here to help you build rental income, ditch your day job, and do what matters most to you. So on that note, let's jump into today's episode, which, like all of our episodes, was recorded live. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. It's Brian Davis here from Spark Rental, and I am joined today by Andrew Kologi of the House Guys of DC. Andrew, welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good to, good to see you again, Brian. <laughs> well, it's great to see you as well. Uh, so Andrew and I met in a, a bloggers group that you know supports each other because um, you know we, we both do quite a bit of real estate blogging, um, and we we want to talk today about Andrew and his wife's business model of uh, flipping houses and wholesaling properties and especially finding amazing off-market deals, which is not the easiest thing in the world in this particular market. <laughs> so yeah, let's, let's just start diving right in. Andrew, tell us a little bit about your business model at the moment, you know, for first a high level overview, and then we can kind of dive into some of the, the details of that. Absolutely. So we are, we are primary um, moneymaker is wholesaling and it, Wholesaling is actually a bad way to put it. It's technically contract assignment, but that basically means we, we take houses, we purchase them, we put them under contract from, from sellers. Um, these are typically people who there is either a pain point, so they're getting divorced, they're going through an inheritance, they're in probate, something like that, or the house needs a lot of work and they're just not really take that kind of hassle on at this point in time. And then we'll take that contract and we'll sell it to a flipper, we'll sell it to somebody who wants to become a landlord, maybe somewhere in between, and then we make the delta between the purchase price and our sale price. Okay, no, that, that's great. That's a, a perfect high-level overview of, of <laughs> wholesaling. Now, you know, we were chatting a little bit before we went live, and you said that you know historically you guys did more flipping, where you go in and you buy the property yourselves, you would renovate it and then sell it retail to a home buyer. Uh, you said that during the pandemic, you've actually pulled back a little bit from that. So tell us a little bit about why the change in strategy and. Um, you know, yeah. What, what what drove that that transition during the pandemic from flipping to wholesale? Absolutely. So we, we changed our strategy um, for for two reasons, and uh, I know Brian will probably appreciate this more than anybody. But being uh, uh, focused on travel and not necessarily being in the area, it's a lot easier to be wholesaling because you don't have to be on the ground managing properties, managing contractors, managing materials, doing deliveries from Home Depot or Lowe's or your local hardware store to the place. And, and if you don't have that, if you're not local and you don't have a, a person there, you know, that's local, it's very difficult to manage that. I, some people do it. I haven't figured out how to do it properly yet. Um, and the second piece is you know, we're feeling a little bit iffy about the market right now. And that's not to say the market's going to drop. It's not to say the market's going to go up. I don't know what the market's going to do, but all I do know is I feel risk adverse and I don't want to hold on to a property right now for the next six months and I take a chance. Fair enough. I mean, you know, this <laughs> at the the risk of overusing words that have been used ad nauseum during the <laughs> pandemic, you know, uncertainty and unprecedented. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, yeah. And, and uncertainty means risk. And, you know, we all have a different risk tolerance. And I commend you for knowing yours and adapting your strategy accordingly. So, you know, you, you touched on a lot of different things there. And I want to dive into a couple of them. Uh, 
you know, in particular, you talked about managing contractors, which is something that a lot of people struggle with. But before we get into any of that, uh, let's talk about how you find off-market deals, because that's really the crux of your business, right? Is finding deals with plenty of equity in them so you can then turn around and assign the contract for a nice margin, a nice, nice fee, and your, your end buyer still gets a good deal themselves. So how do you score these amazing deals with so much equity in them? Absolutely. So we primarily focus on inbound marketing. So we have a website. It, has, it ranks fairly well in Google. And people will search, we buy houses, sell my house fast, sell my house for cash, that kind of stuff. And we'll pop up. They'll fill out a form or they'll call us right then and there. And we always respond to the phone call within the first five minutes. Um, When we make contact with them, we'll then walk them through our process, what we would need, what they would need, and make sure we're a good fit for each other. And if we're a good fit for each other, at that point, we'd go visit the property, see, see, see what there is to see, and then give them an offer. And if the offer's in the range, then we'll, we'll move to closing, typically within seven to 28 days, whatever fits their preference, um, and, and the rest is history. Um, so we are looking to pivot uh, and add some additional marketing channels, primarily Facebook ads. Um, we haven't finalized that yet, so I, I'm not necessarily an expert, and I can't speak from, a, from an authority place on that one just yet, but we are looking to do and, and add other uh, uh, potential revenue streams. Okay, so your your primary way of, of finding these leads and these deals is through online marketing, and in particular uh, SEO. Is that right? Yes. For your yes. website. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's interesting. And I imagine you do a lot of local SEO, right? Because you operate locally in in DC, Maryland, Baltimore, Northern Virginia, right? Yes, a- absolutely. And so you know we're. It gets a little tricky when it comes to, I don't know how deep we want to go in the SEO side, but it is definitely, it is definitely local SEO. Um, uh, we, we don't focus a lot on GMB, uh, Google My Business Optimization, which is a, a huge segment of local SEO. We found that typically people don't click on that as much as, as uh, we found it worth optimizing for necessarily. Um, so we focus a lot on when people say they'll be searching from, let's say, Alexandria, Virginia, right? Or Arlington, Virginia. That's two probably well, pretty well-known places. Um, and they search, you know, I want to sell my house for cash or I just inherited a property. What do I do? You know, we're going to pop up or one of our blog posts might pop up and it'll, it'll show them how to go through the steps. And we're not always the right fit either. I mean, we'll tell them, you know, you can go talk to these agents. You can work with this other company. You know, here's here are your options. Right. And, you know, when we give them that kind of information, it comes from a place of authority, makes them a little more. It, it makes uh, them feel a little more trusted to us, if, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is interesting how in today's world, um, all of these different, you know, you have this sort of traditional business model of wholesaling real estate, um, but your main form of marketing is all digital and online, uh, which a lot of people do. And that, and that crossover, a lot of real estate investors do have, you know, that, that online component to their marketing and to, to their lead generation. Uh, it's not all driving for dollars, right? You know, physically yeah. driving around. <laughs> um, I tried. Yes. That's, that's a lot of work. It is a lot of work <laughs> and, you know, sending out mailers is a lot of work too. And it, it gets expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, online marketing is also expensive. You know, obviously it's Park Rental. We do our own online marketing and it's, yeah. it's, it is itself a lot of work. Uh, but it goes to show that you can generate quite a bit of leads and revenue and income through uh, niching down into one marketing channel and doing it really well. Yes. So, let me ask you this. Do you guys ever do any of those We Buy Houses bandit signs that, you know, are so hated by, by so many <laughs> set of curiosity? 
we we don't. I do know uh, quite a few people who do do that style of marketing. Um, it does. It definitely does work. It really does work. And and what's interesting is it doesn't always just collect leads um, where the bandit signs are. Sometimes it'll collect leads. Someone's driving by out of town. They'll call it anyway, and they have a house they want to sell in New Jersey, something like that. <laughs> and right. I, there's been some pretty funny stories about that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I will add one thing that I have seen with bandit signs are the ones that typically do work the best are the ones that are not the small, you know, 24 by 20 or 24 by 24 uh, or 24 by 36, excuse me, um, signs. It's usually the ones that are big stakes in the ground, you know, like at least six foot by nine foot things that catch people's attention. Okay. All right. So the other wholesaling real estate really comes with, with two main skill sets. One is finding properties with a ton of equity in them. So you can you know, find the great deals to begin with. And then the other side of that business is building a network of buyers who will actually buy these contracts from you, right? So tell us a little bit about how you built your network and any tips that you have for other people who are interested in wholesaling, uh, building on that side of the business, you know, the, the actual investor who's going to come after you, buy the property, fix it up, uh, flip it, keep it as a rental, whatever. Absolutely. So I, I, there's three main ways that you can do this. And I'll, I'll say one of them is kind of exclusive to SEO. And so we do come a little bit advantage of that, but we also market for buyers through SEO. So if you search off-market real estate deals in Washington, DC, we're going to pop up and we get, I mean, there's, you can imagine how many people are looking for that. And to add sure. to that, there's also retail buyers looking in that kind of segment too. So we've had recently, we've, we've worked with retail buyers who want to buy properties off market and they're trying to buy it with a conventional loan, you know, FHA loan, that kind of stuff. And we are able to work, with that kind of uh, segment, albeit smaller, but it is still there. Um, the second thing is working with other investors and uh, partnering with them and, and using their network to explore. Because um, people who've been in the industry for a long time, they're gonna have that network built up already. Um, and then the third piece is, and this is the this is the piece that people really should focus on the most if they wanna find buyers that nobody else knows about, <clears throat> nobody else knows about. Um, they're the doctors, the lawyers, the people who have, they just have too much money. I mean, seriously, it's incredible how much money there is out there in this world and it's it's not being used. It's sitting their IRA in cash and they want to invest it, they just don't know what to do. Making that connection and being a trusted source for them, showing them how to invest their money and have it, and also now giving them the property to invest it in and having it be a good deal, you'll do amazing. You can't fail, you really can't. Now, but if these people are not actively searching for you online, how do you find them? How do you network with them? You. The there's a I can't remember the book off the top of it, but there's a great book. It's about referral networking, right? And the secret to referral networking is not to be in the network of. If I wanted to uh, uh, find a buyer, I wouldn't go to a, a a networking event with other investors and other agents, right? They're all trying to do the same thing as me. Right. Okay, I would want to go to an event with other business owners, doctors, lawyers, business owners, executives, that kind of stuff, and they're all trying to refer to each other too. And then you're the guy there. You have deals that you're trying to sell, you know, obviously don't go there and try to uh, peddle stuff, but right. um, creating that referral relationship and, and building that network and having uh, a true and honest relationship with them and then and then slowly transitioning to to that style, uh, it can be very productive. No, that's great. I mean, you know, and this is in some ways, this is networking 101, uh, but you know, it's, it's so, <laughs> no, it, it, people fail to, most people fail to grasp the, the basics of networking. You know, which is really, you know, provide value for people. And like you said, you know, don't go where there are a thousand people just like you, you know, go to the people that you're actually trying to build relationships with, you know, in their home turf and, you know, find ways of offering them value. So 
I mean, it's, it's great advice. So, you know, we do, at Spork Rental, we focus largely on, on rental properties and, and building a portfolio of, of income producing properties. Do you guys ever keep rentals for yourselves or, or do you always either flip the houses or wholesale the contracts? We, we've kept one rental property. Uh, I will say the DMV, the uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia, um, the, uh, uh, the average house price is a lot. It's like $500,000. I mean, for, for the typical, right. you know, single family house, um, and that's kind of pre-COVID realistically, right? So to turn that into a rental property and to have it make money, make money, it it can be it can be difficult um, without investing a lot of capital into it and having it sit there over time. So we found, and, and we're working on this as a more of a side product at this point, is to take some of this money and if we're going to build a single family or, or multifamily complex, um, we'd like to invest that money in Delaware or another state uh, that's within the region, you know, within a, a couple hours drive, uh, but not necessarily in the in the DMV itself. I, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I used to own quite a few properties in Baltimore, Maryland, really? and uh, and I, I divested most of them um, largely because they they didn't cash flow that well. Not because they were too expensive, like, like the problem you have in DC, uh, but because there were there were just so many social and economic problems in the neighborhoods where I was investing, uh, and the laws, the local regulations were so anti landlord that you just couldn't make money. So I got rid of them. Absolutely, <laughs> I mean, most of them anyway. And something something relevant to, to tenant landlord law, and it's particularly in Baltimore, and and I will agree, Baltimore is a very different scenario than the DMV, largely because I mean properties there, 10k, 60k, and it's it's not uncommon. Um, they changed the laws recently where you can no longer um, not renew a person's lease, um, even if they're not paying. So you, the only reason you can not renew a lease might be if you're moving back into the property, or if uh, uh, your the property's been destroyed and it's no longer no longer livable. And I mean. It's good and the, the landlord tenant law route. I mean, that is that's gonna be very tough for, for a lot of landlords, especially in the post COVID environment right now. Yep, this is this is why I no longer invest in Baltimore. <laughs> and yep. we actually we talk about that quite a bit on, on our blog is um, not investing in tenant friendly jurisdictions where you know they, they go out of their way to make everything all about the tenant, and it, it ends up amounting to anti landlord regulation. Uh, and it's, it's not it's not a, a friendly environment to invest in. So, I, so I don't invest there, and I recommend that other investors don't invest in those kinds of markets either, because they're just inviting that extra layer of, of wrinkles and headaches. Um, yeah. you know, being a landlord and, and making money is hard enough in this industry without all those extra wrinkles. Absolutely. Uh, and it, I, I will add, it's the same thing with the District of Columbia too. I mean, we deal with oh yeah. too many Very landlords. Yeah, yeah, too many landlords who they you know the tenant set the kitchen on fire now they have to replace the kitchen because the tenant can't be evicted because it's during COVID and it's now no longer livable. And it, yeah, it's great. I, mean, and, uh, I wouldn't want to be that guy. <laughs> no, no. So we have a comment from the audience. Christina says that's crazy, and, and she's asking what. <laughs> and it, yeah, you know, people who don't live in those sorts of markets, and even some investors who do live in those markets, don't really understand how anti-landlord the regulation can be in some of these cities, particularly coastal cities. Uh, and it's, it's something that you really, it needs to be on your radar as a real estate investor, uh, if you invest in rentals. Absolutely. So, um, so let's, you know, we, we talked earlier about managing contractors and how you like to travel and how it's difficult to manage contractors you know, <laughs> from long distance. Um, so let's talk about that for a second. You know, you have done a lot of flips, you've done a lot of renovations. So what are some of your best tips for managing contractors, you know, keeping your rehabs on schedule, in budget? Because um, that is one of the 
greatest challenges for a lot of real estate investors, and whether they flip or whether they do the, the Burr method. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about managing contractors. Well, I will say we've, we've been very fortunate in that we, we have worked with good contractors. Um, it's We've found that if we want to, and, and this is somewhat tangential to your question, so I'll work from here, but if, okay. if you want to have the most effective contractors and you want to see them get work done as, as fast as possible, you need to motivate them with the amount of money that they're going to receive, the faster the job is done and the higher the quality of the job. And you can really do that two ways. The first way is you can joint venture with them and, and basically split the deal with them. So they take 50%, you take 50%. They're not going to charge a general contractor fee, but you know, the labor's the labor and everybody wins, right? The other option is it's pay for performance. So, you know, you said this is the bar. If you, you know, exceed the bar and you get it done faster, you make more money. If you get done slower, you make less money. That's also a really good way to burn a bridge with somebody if they get it done right. slower. And even if they're a good contractor, things happen, you know, tile gets delayed. Windows right now could take three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks, right? I mean, it's COVID, you know, unprecedented times. So things, th pretty crazy things can happen right now. Um, when it comes to managing contractors specifically though, have a bulletproof contract. I mean, we had to go through three lawyers to get the to get the right kind of contract uh, to, to, oh, wow. work, to, work, to work with some specific contractors. Um, and definitely verify insurance. Absolutely verify insurance. Do not make that mistake. It has happened to us. Um, and the same thing with if they, some states require bonds, if, if they're a licensed contractor, make sure the bond's been paid. Um, you can run into troubles with that, actually, particularly in Baltimore. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that, that's been my general advice. Uh, did, did that answer your question? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that, that does. Um, I mean, how, how aggressively do you manage your contractors when you are doing innovation? Are, are you over at the property every single day checking in or? Uh... We, we try to visit at least once a week. Um, and we're, these, these, when I say once a week, these are the properties that are, you know, longer term flips, at least going to take, you know, two to three months to, to finalize the renovation. Right. Like a full um, rehab. Yeah. And if it's something that we're turning around within a month, I mean, I'll, I'll be there probably once every three days or someone will be there once every three days. Okay. Um, well, yeah, you first, sorry. No, yeah, no, well, so you said someone will be there uh, and I, I, that uh, kind of ties in my next question. I wanted to go a little bit more personal here with you. So the house guys in DC, it's actually one guy and one gal, right? I mean, so yeah, you are in, in business with your wife. Um, it is. So how, is, how has that been uh, running a business as a married couple? I mean, I, I know that can come with a lot of challenges. So we're actually not married. Fun fact. Oh, well. <laughs> I probably I probably should have mentioned that before on the video. No, 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 you're good. Everybody assumes it. It's fine. Um she, she's nice. She's she's good. Um, but <laughs> it's it's a it's a good business partnership and a good relationship. I mean, it's it's definitely different running a business and running a relationship because you know, everything everything's full time, you know, you're around them the, the whole time. But it's good. We have a good um sense of balance. Uh we definitely have focused more in twenty twenty one on um, more work-life balance. It's it's really easy, especially during COVID when you're not running around as much. And especially now that we're focusing more on wholesaling and not as much flipping, we're not running around as much anymore. And so we're, you know, we're at the house or we're at a library or at a coffee shop. No, it's, it's good. Um, let's see. And so just, at, oh, you first. So well, to, to clarify, so you're not married, but you, but you are in a romantic relationship, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because yes, yeah, yes. I, I just wanted to, to clarify that because I could have been totally off. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. You're good. Yeah, uh, we met four years ago. We were actually in college when we met, so it's been a yeah. Um, we didn't actually start this out of college. We, I mean, uh, she actually lived in Vermont. And, you know, I traveled up there every weekend, that kind of thing. So 
Okay. A lot of United plays. <laughs> All right. So, so how, how any any tips for people who are interested in in running a business either with their spouse or with their significant other? Um, any tips on how to run that kind of two man operation without you know bumping into too much personal friction as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I would definitely say open line of communication. You know, if you can't communicate with your spouse, I, first of all, it could be a tough relationship right off the bat, but it could also be a really tough business relationship too. Um, that goes with everything, obviously. Um, but I would say that's the most important thing. If you can't, if you can't have a conversation at least quickly, we you know that day, and you're not, don't let it fester. That kind of stuff. Does that answer your question? It does, and you know, <laughs> don't let it fester is great relationship advice across the board. <laughs> Whether you're talking about your, your, you know, romantic relationship, your business partner relationship, yeah, that's those are words to live by. So, uh, Christina asks here, how how do you define your roles with your with your partner? So this is this is something we've actually been talking about more and more. But I, I would say this is more my niche. So I, I'm kind of taking the the leadership role and kind of more delegating tasks. Um, she has her niche, and uh, as we start the second business uh, coming up soon, um, you know she's be taking more of the leadership role, and I'll be taking more of the I'll take I'll be delegated tasks and kind of told what to do. Um, so from that perspective, it's kind of easy to define roles because it's um, I'm, you know, I'm doing more of the sales side and, and more of like talking to other investors and going to those meetups and, and, you know, talking to other business owners and that kind of stuff. And she's working on designing the website, writing the good content, you know, building links, you know, handling email conversations, that kind of stuff, which is it's a, a full time job. Yo, yeah, absolutely. marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and you said that you guys are about to start a second business uh, with what's the second business you guys are about to start. That's a good question. So it's it's gonna be down the creativity route as at least the main niche. Um, you know, she has a lot more preference. Liz has a lot more of a preference on the creativity side, and this is real estate's more about money at the end of the day. Right? <laughs> and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of creativity um, in strictly money when it comes to real estate, at least from my perspective. Um, so you know, maybe wedding photography or um, <laughs> crochet. I don't know. We're 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 still bouncing <laughs> ideas around. So, but I, I will say um, it's a lot easier to start the second business than it is to start the first. I mean, at least every person I've ever talked to has said that uh, you have more time, you have a more of an understanding of how the, the world kind of works um, and how, you know, things can bite you, bite you back if you don't take care of them right away. So, yeah, well, you know, that actually, that ties in well with, with something that we talk about quite often uh, at Spark Run. We talk a lot about financial independence and retiring early and, you know, really much more of the financial independence side of it rather than the retiring early side. Um, but, you know, as you build income from several sources, you know, whether that be a business like yours, uh, rental properties like yours, uh, you know, a stock portfolio, you know, whatever, uh, it becomes easier to go off and, and do other fun things with your career, you know, in addition to uh, what you're doing now. You can, you can pull back a little bit on, you know, the strictly income generating stuff and, and, you know, dive into some more creative fields, like you said, you know, start hobby businesses um, because you do have more, more time and more money to devote to that stuff. So. Uh, Absolutely. So Julian asked here, he said, uh, Andy, what's your background um, and Liz's background, you know, before you started this business? So we were both software developers. So I was working for the Navy as a software developer and she was working for um, a contracting company. They, also contracted to the Navy as a software developer. Um, okay. And we both went to school for uh, computer engineering um, at Virginia Tech. So that's that's the highlights. 
Okay. All right. Well, I mean, that, you know, one of the nice things about that field, uh, you know, software engineering in particular, but also, you know, the sort of technical fields, you know, IT, is that you can earn a, a strong salary right out of college, which can then set you up to start a business like this uh, or Absolutely. to, you know, go out and invest in real estate. Um, you know, whereas some other careers, it takes longer to kind of work your way up the, the salary ladder. Um, and it's, it's hard to set aside some, some money when it takes five years, 10 years to really work into some, some better salary. Uh, yeah. But I imagine that you guys had a, a, a reasonably strong starting salary right outside of college, which helped fund this, this venture of yours. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I will say uh, from a technical perspective, I mean, coming from a, a computer-ish background, um, doing the SEO route also kind of helped because helps all put it together kind of thing. So. Oh, absolutely. Was, absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, it all, all reinforces each other. So, yeah. you know, before before we wrap up here, uh, I understand that you and Liz do quite a bit of traveling, which is, uh, you know, right after my own heart <laughs> as <Yeah>. an expat. <laughs> uh, he does quite a bit of international travel. So uh, any travel tips or, or favorite destinations from, from one travel aficionado to another? Travel tips, favorite destinations. Well, we, I mean, right off the bat, we love New Zealand. I mean, that was like probably our favorite place we've ever been. I'm sure we're going to be back as soon as, yeah, as soon as they would back up during COVID. Um, there's this town on the beach. And I, I just forgot the name of it right before I got on here. I, I, I should have written it down, but <laughs> it's one of the most breathtaking places I've ever been to. They had the mounds and the beach and this nice, small little quintessential town kind of thing, right, right there all at the same time. Um, and then I, I will add, you know, part of the reason um, if I was coming out of college or if I was coming out of high school, um, and I turned 18, the first thing I would do is open a credit card. Okay, a lot of parents, and, and this, this goes full circle, a lot of parents, they don't want you to open credit cards, they think debt is bad and all that stuff, and I, I'm sure Park Rental harps on this all the time, but debt's not bad if you can leverage it in a way that produces money, okay? And, you know, Good credit cards, and, and yeah, there you go, and credit cards um, and, and building a credit score and building that, that, you know, age of credit, I mean, that'll really propel you in the future, not only with, not only with, mortgages but with travel too I and mean, you can open up credit cards to, to get miles to get points and sure. there's a whole system and you could and i've i've been down you know i've been down that road for a long time before we before we started this business um so that it, i probably get one recommendation like an 18 year old coming out of high school or a 22 year old coming out of college open a credit card just just yeah. get the process started yeah you know as a real estate investor your credit is is much more crucial to your career than, than most industries and in most most careers. I mean, your, your credit really can determine your ability to, to operate as a real estate investor. So, I mean, it, it's a great tip. It, it sounds so simple, but it's it's absolutely true. You need to start establishing your credit from a young age or repairing your credit if you're a little older and you have some damaged credit uh, because that your, your credit score and your credit history really do impact your ability to do deals. Right. I mean, to, because otherwise you're looking at paying in cash or, or paying such a low LTV that uh, you have to come up with a massive amount of cash to, uh, to yeah. buy properties, which is going to impact. More hard money. Or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Julian offers his comment here. He says, fun fact, some credit card providers let you put your one year old as an authorized user. Uh, having a 17 year history when you turn 18. Uh, it says, I would have loved that for myself. Uh, well, you know, Julian, me too. <laughs> that, that is, I, I actually didn't know that, Julian. So th thank you for, for teaching me something today. That I actually have a one-year-old, so I'm going to get hey. off this podcast and look into that. <laughs> so, so uh, Julian, if you have a specific credit card uh, company that you like for that, uh, send it my way. I, I'd appreciate that. 
Uh, and he, he follows up by saying, high school graduation gift, a 17-year credit history, an IRA, and a rental property. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. Uh, on that note, um, Angie, is, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience or any final tips you want to leave them with before we call this, this interview complete? I can't, I can't think of anything at the top of my head. I guess the, well, actually the one biggest thing, and I can't, I can't remember part of this, but work with somebody else. You know, when you're, when you're first trying to do if you're trying to get in the off market real estate game, or you're trying to get in the rental property game, work with somebody else. Don't blast into it on your own thinking you're the, the king of the world or the queen of the world. I mean, whether it's your, your mom, dad, uncle, brother, or some guy that you met at a real estate meetup, work with somebody with more experience. It'll save you thousands of dollars in the long run. We made mistakes not doing that. And I've seen a lot of other people make the same mistakes. That is a fantastic piece of advice. I tried to go it alone when I was in my early to mid twenties and I lost a massive amount of money because of it. Cause I, you know, I thought that I was going to be smarter than everyone else and I didn't need any help and lost hundreds of thousands of dollars on it. It took me a long time to recover from that actually. So that is an excellent piece of parting wisdom. I, uh, Andrew from The House Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we will put a link to The House Guys uh, of DC in our uh, in the comments and in the show notes. Uh, Andrew, thanks again, and we look forward to having you back soon. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day, everybody. All right. We'll see you guys next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. In the meantime, let us know what you want to hear about next week. It's all about you guys. So reach out. Don't be a stranger. And we'll see you next week. Bye now. Did you know we offer a free eight video course on how to reach financial independence with real estate? It's super bingeable with each video around 10 minutes long, but packed with information. Visit sparkrental.com learn for instant access. And please don't forget to rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the flip side.